Sask Egg Today with Doug Faulkner. Good afternoon and welcome to Sask Ag Today. Coming up on today's program, the Western Canadian Crop Production Show in Saskatoon was the main topic of discussion on Friday's saskagtoday.com roundtable. We'll hear what Chief Agricultural Editor Kevin Hirsch had to say about this year's show. Also, container shipping rates on key global trade routes are soaring following the United States and British airstrikes on Yemeni rebels. The Houthi forces have been attacking container ships in the Red Sea with assistance from Iran. We will have an update on that. We'll hear from DTN's grain market analyst Todd Hultman. The 47th annual Manitoba Ag Days gets underway tomorrow in Brandon. Media coordinator Teresa Hildebrand will tell us all about that. All of those stories and much more coming up on today's edition of Saskang Today. Welcome back to Saskang Today. The Western Canadian Crop Production Show in Saskatoon was the main topic of discussion on Friday's saskagtoday.com roundtable. Chief Agricultural Editor Kevin Hirsch has been to many of the shows and says this year's was a good one. I thought it was probably very successful, and despite some tougher weather, some snow and some temperatures that got ever colder through the week, uh, crowds looked very strong. I think the exhibitors were happy, and the meetings at the Western Development Museum on the first day of the show, a lot of the AGMs were over there, and I, I wondered whether the show would drag them away or other people would think that AGMs are too boring, but they were well attended. Uh, the crowd ebbed and flowed a little bit, depending upon which uh, AGM was was up at any time, but I uh, thought it was pretty successful. Then a couple of the AGMs with information sessions were right at Prairie Land and uh, enjoyed attending both uh, the oats and uh, mustard meetings. He also attended the Saskatchewan Crop Insurance Information Meeting on Wednesday. I thought it might get actually a little more more heated than it would with with questions. And that was in the New Farm Theater area of, of Prairie Land, so one of uh, many presentations. And, you know, crop insurance is, is uh, it was really actually good to see them come out and talk about all of the different options for crop insurance. Because if you, if you don't change your crop insurance by the, the March 31st deadline, you just get what you've always had. You, you don't get uh, any of the, the new options. But things like the contract price option, where if you've contracted a, a crop at a price greater than the crop insurance insured price, you can use that to increase your coverage. There's an in-season option where you basically then pay a slightly higher premium, but your coverage can go up and down depending upon what prices actually do rather than the projection uh, for them. And there's a, a crop averaging. If you want to uh, have a basket of crops that might off, that can offset each other, you can do that, but you can actually get more coverage at a cheaper premium for the, the uh, crop averaging program. So I really encourage producers to, to look at all of the details. And, and also there's going to be information coming. Crop insurance tells me to better explain how premiums are determined. Last year, there was a major departure in how premiums are calculated for everybody. And there was a lot of dissension about that, but they had a pretty good explanation for how that's done. And, and they promised to get more of that information on their website. Final information or individual information for the new crop insurance season, the new growing season will come probably about the end of February. But Hirsch says there weren't very many questions asked by producers. 
I was surprised there weren't more questions and more heated questions, although I know crop insurance officials stayed around later for private conversations. I probably asked uh, more questions than anybody else at, uh, at the session, actually. Uh, but I was surprised. I thought it might be a, a little more heated, but the, the presentation was very clear. Uh, the, the presenter uh, w uh, was very good, uh, Janelle, uh, and actually the, uh, the uh, president of crop insurance was also in attendance to provide clarification on some things. So uh, I think it was a, a really good information session, and I would encourage crop insurance to do more of that and encourage producers to uh, attend and learn more about the program and see if there's ways they can utilize it better. He adds he also had a conversation with Rodney Shetler, the CEO of the Saskatchewan Municipal Hail Insurance Association. It's always interesting in, in the hail insurance industry, and municipal hail has the, the lion's share of the business in Saskatchewan, but I always hasten to point out that there is many uh, private insurers as well, uh, offering a range of services, and they're very very competitive on, on rates and, and producers, I think, shop around a fair bit for the best premium rates for hail insurance coverage. But one of the things I found interesting talking to Rodney is that a shorter shortage of crop insurance adjusters. Uh, they're having a major problem getting enough uh, adjusters for the upcoming season. So if you if you're retired or have a relative that's got extra time in the summer and uh, interested in being trained to do that sort of thing, I think there's a there's an opportunity there. But hail insurance is a difficult one unless you go into a, a different program entirely, like uh, insuring on weather derivatives for heat units or excess rain or something like that. It's difficult for me to uh, really. Uh, recommend anything different for the hail insurance program, but I'll continue to think about that. Hirsch also attended the AGMs for the Saskatchewan Oat Development Commission and the Saskatchewan Mustard Development Commission. Yeah, Oats was one day and um, Mustard was the next. Both of them had uh, the same market analyst, Chuck Penner of Leftfield Commodity Research, and he was probably more bullish than farmers in the room on Oats, really painted a picture of production down, uh, demand up, and a pretty rosy picture for where oats are at. The, the price isn't stellar right now, but historically it's not that bad, and he seemed to think there was upside potential. The, the opposite is true of mustard, where we've had acreage increases and a bit more production. We've got increased competition from U.S. mustard acreage, increased competition going into the European marketplace. And so even though on a lot of the balance sheet, uh, mustard looks like a profitable cropping alternative for the upcoming season, uh, Chuck Penner was not very optimistic about price direction in, in the whole mustard market, believing that we're, we've reached the stage where we've gone from famine to feast as far as the mustard available out there and demand has been very slow. So oats positive, mustard much less positive in the view of Chuck Penner. He says that could change his mind on what he grows this year. I'm a, I'm a mustard grower, but another problem is with one of the varieties. I've been growing the hybrid brown variety, the new one that offers a, a good yield advantage. And it's been out for a number of years, but French Dijon mustard makers are not buying it anymore. They've had viscosity problems. It, it, it soaks up too much water and, and that disrupts their no, normal process. So it's now much more difficult to find buyers who want 
the hybrid brown. So you're right. I'm I'm busy scrambling uh, to see uh, what other options are are available to me because I, unless I can find somebody to contract a hybrid brown with, I'm I'm very hesitant to grow it. It could become a commodity difficult to market. Unfortunately, the good news is there's a new hybrid coming out. It's only going to be available in limited quantities, might be late arriving back from Chile where it's being uh, increased uh, for seed use, but it uh, has not shown this processing problem and, and probably will be the replacement for AAC Brown 18. But Hirsch says it might be hard to change his mustard planting intentions for this year. Well, it's hybrid, so you have to, in a hybrid case, you have to buy each year. Uh, and I have spoken for seed, and I, I hate to go back on my verbal commitment, but I might revisit that with uh, that particular seed supplier and see if I can switch to something else. Because, gosh, it's, uh, it, it's concerning to me to grow something that might have a real difficulty uh, marketing. He notes it was nice to see some new inventions unveiled at the crop production show this year. Yeah, in, in crop production show, and, and we've seen... Other shows, you know, what we, what we used to call the Farm Progress Show, or now the Canada's Farm Show in Regina, used to have a real strong inventor component. A lot of them were farmer inventions, some of which went on to become very big deals. You see less of that now. It, it tends to be the, the, the people that uh, are very well established and million-dollar combines and, and big uh, uh, companies. Uh, one farmer inventor with a, a flow gate just to regulate uh, grain coming out the bottom of a hopper bin so that you can uh, crack the chute wide open and, and uh, not have it overflow, but not have a, uh, you know, it's just, it was just a, a very simple invention, but uh, good to see something like that at the show, a, kind of a contrast to the other exhibitors. And Hirsch plans to attend Manitoba Ag Days in Brandon this week. Well, that's, that's the plan. I haven't been to Manitoba Ag Days in quite a few years, and it is a, it's actually even larger footprint than uh, the crop production show in Saskatoon with more exhibitors, and the two large theaters with uh, non-stop presentations. So I'll be picking and choosing which presentations I like the best and, and sitting in on those, as well as uh, touring around the floor. So look forward to sending you back some, some interviews and some insights from, from Brandon. Kevin Hirsch is the Chief Agricultural Editor for saskagtoday.com. It's time now for the Ag Review portion of our program, and that's a presentation of New Era Ag Technologies in Swan River. GX94, Ag Review. U.S. corn inventories last month swelled to their largest level since 2018, as global supplies recover from multi-year lows. World grain supplies are becoming more comfortable after tightening due to the war in Ukraine, a major corn and wheat producer, as well as unfavorable crop weather. A record U.S. corn harvest last year and lackluster U.S. export sales have contributed to growing stockpiles and pushed corn futures prices to three-year lows in a blow to farmers. For wheat, U.S. stocks increased to 1.410 billion bushels as of December 1st, the largest since 2020, and above analysts' expectations for 1.387 billion bushels. The USDA says U.S. soybean stocks on December 1st were 3 billion bushels, down from 3.021 billion a year earlier, and the lowest since 2020. 
The USDA separately cut its soybean production estimate for Brazil by 2.5 percent to 157 million metric tons, below last year's record crop of 160 million tons. Last summer's drought in southwestern Saskatchewan was not enough to prevent 2023 from being a positive year for the province's mustard growers. Rick Mitzel, executive director of the Saskatchewan Mustard Development Commission, says 2023 was a successful year for growers and the organization. In total, 130,246 metric tons of mustard seed were produced in Saskatchewan, 76.3% of Canada's crop in 2023-24, according to Statistics Canada. The 463,700 acres of mustard seed grown in Saskatchewan last year was the largest amount since 2004-05. Despite a lower yield than the previous year and hot and dry growing conditions, it was the largest crop for both Saskatchewan and Canada since 2018-19 due to the increased acres. Another highlight for Sask mustard was rising demand for hybrid brown and composite yellow varieties of mustard. A project to expand the Archer Daniels Midland Company's Port Windsor Terminal got a federal cash boost last week. The federal government will pitch in up to $26.3 million toward the company's terminal expansion project. The expansion will include increased grain storage, greater loading capacity, new grain drying equipment, and the development of an automated truck kiosk system to expedite complex traffic flows. It's projected to significantly increase the Great Lakes Terminal's export capacity and alleviate current bottlenecks. The expansion should address issues such as idling trucks, waiting times for marine vessels to dock, and locomotives shuttling around rail cars for temporary grain storage on site. CN and CPKC Rail supplied a combined 93% of hopper cars ordered in Grain Week 23, a decline from the 97% order fulfillment performance seen in Week 22. The decline in performance reflects a decline for CN, with CPKC performance improving week over week. In supplying 89% of cars ordered by shippers in Week 23, CN saw performance dip from the 99% order fulfillment performance they posted in week 2022. CN performance falls below the 90% performance threshold for the first time in five weeks. CPKC performance improved with the railway supplying 99% of shipper orders in week 23, an improvement from the 96% order fulfillment performance posted in week 22. CPKC performance remains above the 90% threshold for the 12th consecutive week. Germany's finance minister took to the stage today in front of thousands of jeering farmers protesting against tax rises and told them there was no money for further subsidies. The protests have heaped pressure on Chancellor Olaf Scholz's coalition as it struggles to fix budget disarray and contain right-wing groups. The protests surged after a government decision to phase out a tax break on agricultural diesel as it tried to balance its 2024 budget following a constitutional court ruling in November that forced it to revise its spending plans. Faced with a backlash, the government has already said it will maintain a tax rebate on new agricultural vehicles 
and spread the scrapping of the agricultural diesel subsidy over several years. And SaskAg Today is always available on podcast. Listen to past shows whenever you want. Find them easily by going to gx94radio.com. Also, you can hear the podcast on your Amazon Echo. Just enable the GX94 skill and choose SaskAg Today. And yes, it is free. Please stay tuned. SaskAg Today will return right after this. Welcome back to SaskAg Today. I'm Doug Falconer. We have mainly sunny skies, but blowing snow in the Yorkton-Melville area and a temperature of minus 27 degrees. I'll have your complete weather details coming up at 1 o'clock. Container shipping rates on key global trade routes are soaring following the United States and British airstrikes on Yemeni rebels. The Houthi forces have been attacking container ships in the Red Sea with assistance from Iran. Major companies such as Maersk have also stopped using the Suez Canal and are sending vessels around the Cape of Good Hope in South Africa. Rerouting a ship around Africa adds roughly 10 days and $1 million in fuel costs for each one-way voyage between Asia and Europe. Ukrainian wheat exports are sharply lower than pre-war times, but a surprising amount of crop is still being exported despite the war. On Friday, the U.S. Department of Agriculture raised its estimates for Ukrainian wheat exports. Todd Haltman is a grain market analyst with DTN, the progressive farmer. In spite of all of Ukraine's difficulties and everything they're doing to fight off Russia and everything Russia is doing to make life at Ukraine's ports difficult and impossible, Ukraine still manages to get out significant amounts of corn and wheat. So it's kind of an amazing human story of what they're able to pull off here. The USDA estimates Ukrainian wheat production at 23.4 million metric tons, with exports at 14 million, or 1.5 million metric tons above the previous estimate. The USDA also bumped up Russian wheat exports by 1 million metric tons to 51 million. Livestock Market Conditions The livestock markets are closed today due to the U.S. Martin Luther King Jr. holiday. The 47th annual Manitoba Ag Days gets underway tomorrow in Brandon. Media coordinator Teresa Hildebrand says they're putting the finishing touches on the Keystone Center. Preparations are well underway and moving is going bopping right along. We're getting the big things in and now we're just moving little things in. So we are right on track, getting ready to roll and welcome everyone to the biggest indoor farm show tomorrow morning. She notes this year's show will be huge. We have 550 exhibitors filling the 540,000 square feet of the Keystone Center, so there is definitely something for everyone. We've got big iron all the way to cattle equipment and ag-adjacent businesses like insurance. So anything that's farm-related, you will find it here. Hildebrand adds advanced tickets are still available. Tickets are on sale now at agdays.com slash tickets. We are still having the early bird price of $15 a day, so you should go and get your tickets right now. 
She then outlines what's on tap for day one of Manitoba Ag Days tomorrow. We would like to welcome everyone with a kickoff breakfast sponsored by Heritage Co-op tomorrow morning at the Dome Building, 7 o'clock till 8.45. And then you can move across to the Keystone Centre just in time to see all those exhibitors. We're looking forward to welcoming everyone indoors, so don't let the cold deter you. There's a shuttle to take you right from your vehicle to the door and a complimentary coat check when you get inside the Curling Club entrance. So come on out, and we're looking forward to welcoming you here. And Hildebrand says the streets of Brandon are in great shape. Snow is much less of an issue than just being frosty and windy, so absolutely, we are ready to welcome you here. Teresa Hildebrand is the media coordinator for Manitoba Ag Days. The three-day event kicks off tomorrow and wraps up on Thursday. Please stay tuned. SaskAg Today will return right after this. Welcome back to SaskAg Today. 29 crop science projects from researchers at the University of Saskatchewan have received a total of close to $7.5 million from the governments of Canada and Saskatchewan and more than $2.5 million in co-funding from industry partners. The USAS Crop Research Projects received support from Saskatchewan's Agriculture Development Fund meant to aid the growth and advancement of the agricultural industry in the province through innovative work solving modern questions in agricultural science. Sabina Benitza is a researcher at the University of Saskatchewan who's getting $2.2 million for root rot research. Okay, so I guess the first thing I, I want to say is that it is, um, and that was already hinted at, um, a, a big collaborative research project between three institutions. So the Crop Development Center at the University of Saskatchewan, um, the National Research Council in Saskatoon, and then the um, Left Bridge, the Swift Current, and the Saskatoon Research Centers of Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada. So it's a, it's a really big group of scientists um, with different expertise because it's a very comprehensive proposal we put together that um, sort of shows uh, does sort of focuses on, on resistance breeding on pathogen biology but also on, on agronomy so very comprehensive and the objective is really to fill some of the gaps we still have in, in this root rot disease in peace and land. Yeah. Can you describe you know, some of the losses that Athanomyces and other root rots cause to pulse crops and why it's important to, to get a handle on the situation? Yes. So um, yield loss can vary quite substantially. I mean, A, it depends on the infestation levels of fields and B, it depends on, on the conditions. So I, I think everybody sort of has heard that Athanomyces particularly thrives in the wet conditions. So um, most famously between 2012 and 16 when we had all the flooding that's when it really exploded and there we, we saw total shipwrecks right you can see yield losses up to or close to a hundred percent if it's drier maybe it's only as low as 10 percent but it's really difficult to predict because weather and soil conditions play such a big um, role in, in determining that so it's dry right now, so not as much in the last few years, but if it does start raining again, did, did, can we see an explosion? Well, um, the the issue and what makes it so complicated is that we don't just deal with aphanomyces, that 
likes the wet conditions, but it is really a complex and there, there is a, a second group of pathogens, several fusarium species, and they are not so much dependent on, on wet soils as such, but they are really sort of impacting plants whenever they are stressed. And that may even be under drought conditions, right? We know that plants and root systems are stressed when it's very dry, and then the fusarium can cause damage as well. It's usually not as dramatic as under the really wet conditions, but in a way, regardless of what is happening in the soil, we seem to see some damage now because our fields are so heavily infested. In general terms, how many different types of root rots are there in, in, in broad terms and uh, you'll be looking at all of them? So, um, in general, we think that there are, uh, well, obviously the Aphanomyces, and then there are probably three Fusarium species that we think are sort of most important. And um, we, at the moment, have, uh, at least from the resistance breeding point of view, have focused in on Aphanomyces, obviously, and then one Fusarium species, Fusarium avenaceum. There is another Fusarium species, Fusarium solani, that is important as well, but we still have to sort of get a better handle on um, the diversity in that population because we know that these Fusarium species can also infect, for example, the cereals, but we don't know whether there are subpopulations that specialize on the pulses versus the cereals. And we have to figure that one out first before we can start resistance breeding. Yeah. Have, have we made much progress to date or are we just sort of at the beginning stages of this? Um, we definitely have advanced, particularly in the peas. We were very, very lucky there in that um, researchers in France and in the US had already worked on Aphanomyces root rot for a decade before we even sort of detected that pathogen here. And so we could use the sources of resistance, so the lines they had identified and started crossing. And so we now have adapted material that has some partial resistance against that particular pathogen. Um, but it's sort of really the first generation and um, because they, they were specifically bred for the resistance, they are not yet the really high yielding material we want to see. So, But we are sort of getting much closer there to having varieties that have some resistance. And how long is this project uh, the funding for? This a strategic research yeah. initiative is for five years and a big part of that funding goes into pea and lentil breeding because I think we all understand that resistance will probably be the, the best tool we have for, for managing this disease complex. Sabina Benitza is a researcher at the University of Saskatchewan who's getting $2.2 million for root rot research she made her comments in front of reporters last week at the Western Canadian Crop Production Show in Saskatoon. Commodities Update. Canola futures are trading up across the board this hour. March canola trading at 629.10, up $2.10. May canola trading at 636.20, up $1.50. The rest of the grain and oilseed markets are closed today due to the Martin Luther King Jr. Day holiday in the United States. And that's the commodities update. Welcome back to SaskAg Today. A man who has dedicated his life to the livestock industry says it was all worthwhile. 
Les Johnston is one of six individuals being inducted into the Saskatchewan Agricultural Hall of Fame, announced last Tuesday at the Western Canadian Crop Production Show in Saskatoon. Among many accomplishments, Johnston helped establish the Saskatchewan 4-H alumni at the University of Saskatchewan and served as its first vice chair. He supported Saskatchewan 4-H for more than 30 years as a club leader, public speaker and educator, and a sought-after cattle show judge. His goal in 4-H was to help the next generation. If any industry is going to su uh, survive, they need youth to come from the bottom. I mean, if you, don't, if you don't regenerate anything, you'll have nothing. So I looked at it on the greedy side. I looked at it, they could be my future, future customers. On the good side, I looked at it, it was the future of Saskatchewan because it is our youth. My work was extensively in the beef side of 4-H. My family roots, my mother was really big in the home, in the crafts and things like that. She was uh, all over the province judging and, and instructing. But I felt that uh, we needed to help the beef side and so uh, it was my way to give back to my industry and, uh, and what better way to do with a bunch of young kids that uh, just, just love to have fun and learn. Johnston has been a judge at several regional 4-H and youth shows. He tells a story of a time when he judged a YCS show in Melville. And I got there and I was supposed to judge salesmanship. And so these kids, they're primed. I mean, it's very competitive. Uh, they were running in age from 16 to about 19, 20 years old. So the idea was they had to sell me an object, an article. And so one guy would drive up with his half ton. He's going to sell me his half ton. Somebody would try to sell me the local elevator. Somebody would try to sell you a a plate or an ice cream cone. It didn't matter what they selected. So I was gonna, I knew a lot of these kids from working with them for years. So I went through my closet and I dug up an old Urkel costume. I don't know if you remember Urkel. And I put on polyester pants, glasses, uh, an old uh, high school sweater that was too tight. And they didn't know I was coming. And when they came around the corner and they were all serious and then they started to laugh and it was to see who could keep it together and uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun with the kids, I'll tell you. He has also judged competitions at Canadian Western Agribition and Manitoba Ag Days. One of his highlights was at Prairie Land Park in Saskatoon. I was asked to judge the intercollegiate uh, beef competition and that was colleges from all over North America. So there was all regions of Canada, so we had the Quebec contestants here not much English so we had to we had to judge through translators that was a challenge it was a it was quite a thing uh, it was an experience we had the Americans come up we had to uh, how can I say this diplomat I have to watch I there's things I can say but there's things I have to we had to be very diplomatic with some of the uh, Americans uh, very competitive they're actually schooled down there and uh, so they come in in tent thinking they were going to win and you could just rattle them if you threw them off and <laughs> and uh, they weren't you know they, they weren't quite some of them weren't as good as what they thought they were I'll put it to you that way the Canadian kids had a very strong showing no matter the outcome there was always someone upset with Johnston's judging you know judging it didn't matter what kind of day you had how good you did you always made somebody mad because not everyone and, and it was very competitive and a lot of people put a lot of work into it uh, a lot of people base 
a lot of their income off of their successes. So there was a lot of pressure in it. But at the end of the day, he says he enjoyed every minute of it. My last show when I decided to hang up judging 4-H, I was judging grandchildren of people that I had started with and I thought, God, it must be time for this guy to get out of there. And uh, uh, it was very rewarding to see those young members come back and I was able to work with them and, and uh, you know, anytime you do a lot of volunteer work, you never, you know, you go home at nights and you wonder, geez, why am I doing this? You know, there's not a whole lot of pay. Usually it was coming out of your pocket, a lot of it. Very rewarding when these young members came back and they remembered their time they spent with you. Uh, nothing like them running across the grounds and yelling, hey, Les, you know, and they remembered you. And, of course, I was scrambling for names because they changed and there were so many. The class of 2024 will be formally inducted into the Saskatchewan Agricultural Hall of Fame at a ceremony in Saskatoon on April 13th. Please stay tuned. Your Farm Bulletin Board is coming up next. Farm Bulletin Board. Parkland Learning Event coming up from the Canadian Association of Farm Advisors. It'll be held on Wednesday, January 24th from 9 until 10.30 in the morning at Community Futures Ventures at 204 Smith Street East in Yorkton. The guest speaker will be Jason Heinmiller. He will be talking about Bill C-208 and the 2023 federal budget on intergenerational transfers. So yeah, it'll be a review of Bill C-208, Intergenerational Transfer Rules, and the impact of the 2023 federal budget changes on future farm succession planning. So if you would like to attend that event, you have to RSVP by January 22nd to denise at philipchuckmanagement.com. That's for the Jason Heinmiller presentation, courtesy of the Canadian Association of Farm Advisors, coming up Wednesday, January 24th, from 9 until 10.30 in the morning at Community Futures Ventures on 204 Smith Street East in Yorkton. The Saskatchewan Beef Industry Conference will be coming up January 22nd through the 24th at the Delta Hotel in Regina. Also, there will be a Celebrating Rural Ranching Women Forum coming up February 1st and 2nd at the Rockland Hall in Rock Glen, Saskatchewan. And the Native Prairie Restoration and Reclamation Workshop will be held February 7th through the 8th in Saskatoon. And that's all the time we have for today's Farm Bulletin Board. And that'll do it for Saskag today for today. Be sure to tune in again tomorrow at 12.15 for another edition of the program.